If you love me, you will. You know, I was uh, thinking about that and as I was meditating through this passage, and I was reminded of the show Family Feud. You know the show Family Feud? You're familiar with that, right? And so it has that whole thing. You know, they survey a bunch of people, and, and they say, hey, here's the statement, and then, and then you answer the question or you complete uh, the sentence. So just think about that for a minute. So if you think about that, you survey 100 people, and then the game is that you have to guess how many people said such and such a thing. So how do you answer that? If you love me, you will what? What are some of the things you would put in there? Do what? You have to say it loud. Do what? Uh, you're cheating. I'm talking out to your wife. Do you command her what to do? Does he just boss you around in the house like that? Unbelievable. Oh, she says it to you. Oh, okay. What do you think the common responses are? You go out there into the mall, you say, if you love me, you will what? One of the most common ones is, let me control the remote. Or how about cook my favorite food? All of these different things. That, and so I was just sort of checking this out in Family Feud. And, you know, one of the best things that I saw there was, uh, you know, they always try and put people in a difficult spot, right? To cause some trouble. And so one of the ones that they asked the guys was, um, let me get me sure I get this right. Something on your wife that is bigger than it should be. They asked an older guy, and you know what he said? Her heart. And that kind of neat as a wise guy there. Well, you know, as we're going to look at this morning here, this whole thing about commandments and love and heart and big hearts, it sort of is wrapped all together, and along with the Holy Spirit, which we've been sort of focusing on in our songs so far. And here's kind of uh, what I want you to take away from this. Uh, if we're going to kind of put it in one sense, it's this. If we love Jesus... We have life in the Spirit. If we have Jesus, we have life in the Spirit. When you take that last half of the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John, I think that that kind of is what sums the whole thing up. And so let's sort of dive into it a little bit, verse by verse, section by section, and see how this whole deal about loving Jesus, receiving the Holy Spirit, and obeying his commands in love all tie together. So we start off with verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. The first thing that Jesus says is that if you love me, you're going to be able to keep my commands. You're going to be able to obey. Now, when you first read that, it might sound a bit like a command or a condition, right? Hey, if you love me, then you better keep my commands, right? That's sort of how it goes. But, but actually, that verse can actually be seen as a promise. And the promise is this. If you love me, you're going to be able to keep my commands. It was Rick Watts that pointed this out to me because, you see, he goes back into the Old Testament and it, it was sort of the heart and the desire of Israel, of the people of God. They wanted to live in community with God. They wanted to live out their covenant with God, but they were not able to do so. And so they kept falling down and weren't able to keep the commands, right? And their, their desire was to live in this close intimacy. And so Ezekiel, for example, those passages in Ezekiel where God promises, listen, a couple of times, I'm going to replace your hearts of stone with with hearts of flesh. And what he's saying there is there's going to be a day when I'm going to change your heart so that you are going to be able to live out the covenant. You're going to be able to live out the way that you really desire to live, but you keep stumbling and you keep falling. But the day is coming when your love for me is going to enable you 
to obey your commands. Why? Because your motivation is going to be love. And when our motivation is love, it becomes a joy to obey. It becomes a joy to live in the way that gives pleasure to the one whom we love. But not only is it we are motivated when we love Christ to obey, we get the Holy Spirit who is the one who is able to grant us the power to live this way. Let's pick it up in verse 16 through verse 20. It's it's kind of a complicated little section here, so let's think carefully as we go through this passage. All right, here we go, verse 16. So if you love me, you're going to be able to keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father And you are in me, and I am in you. What a phenomenal verse that last last verse is. We love, and so we are motivated and able to obey. And because God loves us, he gives himself to us. The coming of the Holy Spirit is God, is Christ dwelling within us. I'm going to send you another comforter. I'm going to send you another advocate. Now, let me just give you a little bit of a technical thing. In the Greek language that Gospel of John is written in, there are two ways of saying another. There's kind of like one way is um, another, but it's kind of different. You might say, I'm going to give you another fruit. And so I might give you an apple, and I'm going to say, I'm going to give you another fruit, and I might give you an orange. You see how what I mean? It's kind of the same but different, right? You see how that goes? Or it could be a different kind of another. I'm going to give you an apple, and I'm going to give you another of the same kind. I'm going to give you another apple. You see the difference between the two? The word that John uses here is another of the same kind. And so what God is trying to communicate to us here is, listen, you need to understand something here. Uh, You're going to be in the position where I'm going to completely give myself to you. I'm going to come as God and I'm going to dwell not only with you like I am now, but if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm going to dwell in you. I, God himself, myself, the living Christ, I'm going to come and I'm going to dwell within you. And that's that whole thing in verse 20 where, where he says, listen, don't you understand that, uh, that I'm in the Father and you're in me and I'm in you. It's this idea, listen, this, this, this is a mind-blowing concept. By the gift of the Spirit, we as human beings are swept into the divine love of the Trinity. We dwell in the midst of the love between the Father and the Son and the Son and the Father and the Father and the Spirit. He's not saying that we become gods. We don't become gods. We remain human. But it's that he's going to dwell within us and we dwell within him. We, we, we are swept up into this incredible relationship of self-sacrificing love for the sake of the other person. 
If you want to read a book on this, it's a little book, but it'll take you a long time to read because there's deep stuff in there. It's called Worship, Community, and the Triune God of Grace by Torrance. Worship, Community, and the Triune God of Grace. If you read that book and you spend some time in it, you won't look at the Trinity the same way anymore. You won't look at worship anymore the same way. And you won't look at yourself anymore the same way. It's this whole promise of God that, listen, I love you so much that I'm going to sweep you up into the divine family. And that's why he talks about God as the divine family. It's sort of like a husband and wife, right? And they love each other. And then when they have a child, that child is swept up into that relationship of love. And yet the relationship's kind of separate. And yet this child is in the middle of this relationship. And so it is as the Holy Spirit dwells within us. We're swept up into the Trinity. We're swept up into the intimacy of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. It's so hard to understand. But if you allow the Holy Spirit to to allow him to come in and and take over your mind and your heart and your being, you begin to understand what that is. And that's why we love to worship. Because what we're doing is we are sharing in the mutual love of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And we're adding our adoration as the Son gives praise to the Father and the Father loves the Son. Well, it's this giving of the Holy Spirit that governs the whole rest of the passage, this life in the Spirit. Because I've said to you many, many times before, the Christian life is life in the Spirit. That's just what it is. And the rest of the chapter just sort of fills out what exactly this is. Because you see, it's this Holy Spirit dwelling within us that distinguishes us from people who don't know Jesus. That's what verse 17 says. It's the Spirit within us It's the spirit life that makes us different than those who don't yet know Christ. Because the Christian life is life in the spirit and the gifts of the spirit and the fruit of the spirit as he expresses himself through and in our lives. So who is the spirit? The word that's used here is, it's it's word paraclete and it's, It's notoriously difficult to translate for translators into English. And the reason is, is because it's such a deep and a rich and and a full word that that there's no single English words that can really capture all that God is saying about who he is when, when he comes as the paraclete. And so if you're reading your different translations, it's translated different ways in this passage. Some will say, hey, I'm going to send you another comforter. Because that's one word, one definition of this word paraclete is that the Holy Spirit comes and he will give us comfort and walk beside us during times of difficulty. That's why we're going to see in verse 27, he says, listen, uh, I'm going to come and you're going to have peace. You're going to have shalom. Why? Because in times of difficulty, the Holy Spirit comes and he gives us comfort. He gives us what we need to get us through the rough times of life. Uh, some of your translations, how about this, is having there, and I'll give you another counselor. Any of your translations have counselor in there? Yeah, because that's, that's another translation of it. A counselor. Who's a counselor? It's that the Holy Spirit comes and he gives guidance in confusing times. And that's why verse 26, it says, listen, uh, the time's going to come. Don't worry about it. I'm going to come and I'm going to give you words and I'm going to remind you of the teaching. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is our counselor. 
And when we come to situations we don't know whether to go right or whether to go left or stand still, it's the Holy Spirit. When we will stop and pause and we will say, Holy Spirit, I need your guidance in this. I just don't know how to respond to this. And the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us. He'll remind us of the teachings of Christ. He'll remind us of the way that God has led us in different ways. The Holy Spirit comes and he is our counselor. That's what part of the meaning of the word paraclete. How about this? Uh, this one, I think NIV has the word advocate. How many of you had advocates in your translations? That's another word. Well, what's an advocate? An, an advocate. An advocate is one who takes our side and makes our case for us. And the idea is this, is that when you in your, in your Christian life and in your life in the kingdom, there are going to be times when we come into conflict. And it's during those times of conflict between light and darkness that the Holy Spirit comes and he is our advocate. He takes our side. He makes our case for us. We sing songs about it, right? Heaven comes to fight for me. Heaven goes, right? That's the Holy Spirit coming and advocating for us, being on our side, pleading our case, ensuring that we are okay. Truth is this. It's really the whole side of the Holy Spirit is the one who comes and walks and does life beside us who sort of puts his arm around us and leads us and empowers us and guides us and comforts us and gives us the ability to live our life of love in Christ. And Jesus says, listen, if you love me, you're going to be able to obey my commands because you're going to have the right motivation. But not only that, but you're going to be able to obey my commandments because I, God, am going to come and I'm going to dwell inside you and provide for you all that you need to live this life of following Christ. Well, as the Spirit comes, then there's something else that happens. Verse 21. We know and see God in his love. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. This is verse 21. It's sort of a, a summation, a bit of a repeat, but another bit of a step forward from verse 15. Because what he's saying here is that the ongoing evidence of your ongoing love for Christ is your obedience to his commands as the Spirit gives you the ability. Love for Jesus is not a matter of words, but a matter of action. And obedience to Jesus on Monday with the difficult people that you live with and work with and walk with and are beside, that's where the evidence comes, not only in the singing of songs of adoration when we gather here together now. The evidence of loving God, the evidence of the Spirit within us is living with those with whom we live on Monday, this ongoing love and this Spirit-empowered obedience to God is what enables us to know God more deeply. The preacher, Ray Stedman, uh, put it this way. He said this, loving obedience is the key to progressive intimacy with him. The more we obey Jesus, the more we live out his life, the more we live these lives of love and of grace empowered by the Spirit, the more deeply we get to know the character and the being of God. I like how Henry Blackaby, he puts it in a, in a good way. He sort of breaks it down for us. And this is what Henry Black, Blackaby says. He says, the first thing that happens is that God gives an invitation to act. He says, hey, I want you to come and I want you to live this way. I want you to forgive. 
If somebody comes and says to you, hey, I want your coat and I want you to give him a shirt as well. All that whole teaching of those things. And what that does, if we take the words of Jesus seriously, is it brings us into what Blackie calls a crisis of belief. Because the truth is, it's hard to believe sometimes that the way of Christ is the right way. Because it, it tends not to make any sense to us. And so we come to this crisis of belief. Will it really work out if I live out my life as Jesus wants me to live it out? Will it really make a difference if I forgive, if I'm gracious, if I whatever, sacrifice myself, whatever it is? And so we have this crisis of belief. Do I really think this is the way to go? Will I really live this out? And then hopefully, what we do is we adjust our life in obedience. In spite of what we may think, in spite of what we may feel, in spite of what we may want, we bring our life into obedience with the commands of Christ to love in the way that Christ loves. And in the power of the Spirit, as the Spirit gives the ability, even though we might at first resist it, we, we follow through with the way of Jesus. And as we are obedient to Christ, Blackaby says, then we experience and know God in a deeper and fresh way. Because somehow we become one with the heart of God. Somehow we begin to understand God a bit more fully. Somehow, in ways that we don't understand, sometimes things work out, maybe not even the best for me still, but for the way and the way of the kingdom and the way of life for the people. And so as we obey Christ, as the Spirit gives this ability, as we lay down our life, as we obey his commands to love each other as he loved us, as we live that out, we get to know Christ more fully because we're living out the life of Jesus and the spirit transforms our heart into the heart of God as we live in obedience to him as the spirit gives us ability and it's when we live this kind of, of loving life when we live in obedience to Christ that we become a witness to the world look at verse 22 and on then Judas not Judas Iscariot said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and he will come to them and make our home with them. And anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. Now, have you noticed this weird quirk in the gospel of john the gospel of john one way of looking at the gospel is to to see how jesus responds to different circumstances and oftentimes he'll, he'll respond to questions people will come and they'll have a question about it like 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 judas does here he said hey you know how come jesus you're going to show yourself to, to us disciples but you're not going to show yourself to the world because you know really the mission is about the world not just not just us and, and why is that and in answer to this question, uh, Jesus said, oh, oh, John, oh, you're coming back in resurrection spirit, not of orphans. Why aren't you showing to the world? Oh, hey, if anyone loves me, they'll obey me, and my Father and I will come and live within them. Did you not hear the question, Jesus? I just asked you, hey, you're going to reveal yourself to us. You're going to come back in resurrection. Why aren't you showing the world? Oh, yeah, if you love me, I'll, I'll come and live with you. You see, what Jesus continually does in the Gospel of John is he reframes the question. He reframes the question. 
And to be honest, it's this little section in here which was the big learning point for me this week as I worked my way through this passage of Scripture. Rick Watts is the one I have to thank for this in his lecture on it. He says, listen, how is it that Jesus... You can answer this question. How is it that Jesus showed himself to the disciples? What did he do? He... Okay, a fundamental teaching of Christianity is Jesus died and then he he rose from the dead and he presented himself to the disciples, right? That's how he showed himself to the disciples. And that's an incredibly powerful thing that happened. Verse 19, I'm going to come back. You're going to see me again. And then he says this. But you want to know how I'm going to show myself to the world? I'm going to show myself to the world in your spirit-empowered obedience to love as Christ loved. That's an incredible thing. Judas is asking, well, why, don't you, why don't you show yourself to everybody? Why don't you show everybody that you're resurrected? Why don't you, you know, come on the clouds as you're going to come one day? We know he didn't know that yet. But why don't, why don't you do that? And Jesus says, listen, well, here's what you need to understand. I am going to show myself to the world. But the way in which I choose to show myself to the world is through your love of each other and through you having the Spirit dwell within you and loving other people as I have loved you. In God's weird economy... Our spirit-empowered love is more effective than a thousand resurrection appearances. Let that sink in for a minute. Let that sink in in terms of, of, of the, the, the incredible value of loving one another. Let that sink in in, in terms of, of how radically powerful our love is intended to be. Let that sink in about how no wonder he says that you're going to need the Spirit. You're going to need my Spirit dwelling within you to love in the way that I want you to love. Because my love for you should be more powerful than somebody seeing the resurrection. When somebody sees my life and the transformation that the Spirit brings about in my life, it should be a bigger witness to the love of God than if Jesus appeared to them resurrected. I've had to be thinking about this for a few days. Because we kind of like to think, don't we? Well, you know, we've got this friend, and if only Jesus would appear to him. And sometimes Jesus does appear to people, and it's an amazing thing, and it's just phenomenal and all this sort of thing. But Jesus said, but listen, no, no, and let me tell you something, Alan. The normal way I'm going to prove to people that I'm raised from the dead is my spirit's going to dwell within you. I'm going to dwell within you. And your life of love is going to be so radical that people are going to say, that ain't Jones which shouldn't take much. And yet, that is the way that Jesus says, I'm going to show the world who I am. Because you are going to obey my commandment to love one another as I've loved you and wash feet and lay down your life. By the Spirit's work in us, making us a people of love, we witness to the world, to the truth of the resurrection and the person of Jesus.
I'm still chewing on that. And then he goes on, he says, and not only that, but as you're going about this, this mission and as you're loving people, and as, as sometimes it's difficult to love people in the way that I'm commanding you and expecting you and privileging you to love, sometimes that's going to be tough. But by the Holy Spirit's dwelling within you, you're going to have peace within the mission. Verse 25. All of this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I live with you. My peace I give to you. And I don't give as the world gives. Comes and goes. No. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Don't be afraid to love as Jesus loves. Even though you know sometimes that's going to hurt. And you know it. Because there have been times in your life when you have loved as Jesus loved. You have washed feet. You have laid down your life. And the response that you got isn't what you expected, maybe. But we can have peace. We can have shalom. The Holy Spirit comes alongside us and reminds us of all that we need to know, reminds us of who we are, and enables us to engage in the mission of Christ. And this is a great time of fear in the world. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But he says, no, no, you need to understand that I'm going to come and I'm going to dwell within you as the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is going to give you the peace that equips us to carry out the mission of love in the face of fear, in the face of danger, in the face of disappointment. In the face sometimes even of our wavering faith that it really is going to be the ticket to the mission of Christ. He said, and this grounding in me, this dwelling of the Holy Spirit, it's not like the peace that the world gives, which is dependent upon circumstances. And all of a sudden things change and you can lose your peace. No, I'm going to come and I'm going to dwell within you. I'm going to be within you and I'm not going to leave. I'm going to enable you to know who I am and enable me to love who I am because I'm not giving my spirit. I'm not giving myself as somebody might give themselves to you. I'm going to give myself to you and I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to carry on with you through the thick and the thin of life. And I'm going to give you shalom. I'm going to give you this understanding and this belief and this sense that God is going to make all things right one day. He's going to put all the pieces back together in a way that fits. And though things seem very fragmented and the world seems like a scary place and all of these things, God grants us his shalom. Things are right in the almighty power of God himself. And we live and we minister and we serve and we love in that knowledge. And then Jesus finishes off this little part of the talk. He said, you see, because of these realities, you can rejoice in Jesus' glorification. Verse 28. You've heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. 
If you love me, you'll be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I've told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I'll not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming, Satan. The prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. The enemy is not the one dictating the timeline here. The enemy is not the one that's going to cause me to die on a cross, just so you know. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now. Let us leave. It's kind of a weird part of the passage because, you know, what's this whole thing about the Father is greater than I am? I mean, we believe in, in the Trinity. We believe in the Father and the Son and the Spirit, uh, three persons in one, in one God. What's this, what's this language of the Father is greater than me? Well, it has to do with the way in which Jesus is expressing his loving obedience for the Father. He's saying that this whole point is that people need to understand that I love the Father, and because I love the Father, I carry out the Father's heart. I carry out the mission that he's been given to me to die for the sins of all the world. My obedience to the Father, my submission to him, is driven by my mutual love with him, as your obedience to me is driven by your love for me. And so Jesus says, so you need to be glad. I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to go away. And you're not going to see me for a while. But that's because I'm ascending to the Father. I'm going to rise from the dead and I'm going to ascend and be seated at the right hand of the Father. And his mission will be completed. And you will be sent the Holy Spirit to dwell not just amongst you as it has in the days of old. But I'm going to come and dwell within you. Because I'm going to ascend to the Father and we are going to come in the person of the Spirit and live with you. Because I'm going to complete the mission my Father has given me. Man, there's, there's so much in this passage. So many powerful words that Jesus has in this, this final teaching. You know, he's going to go to the cross. He's going to be leaving his disciples before the Spirit comes. And he, he's just kind of packing into these last uh, pieces of, of this great teaching here before, before he sort of brings this whole thing together. And there's so much in there. This passage is so encouraging and so challenging and so deep. And it's critical stuff that's central to life to understand that life in the Holy Spirit is the Christian life. And that the receiving of the Holy Spirit is all bound up with love. The Father's love for us and enabling us to love one another even as we love Christ. Because it's the Holy Spirit as he dwells within us. His whole deal is to express himself in love. And that expression of your love for the person that you work beside, God says, I'm counting on that as being more powerful than if I appeared to that person in a dream sun night. Because they might think that that vision of a resurrection was a bit of a hallucination they had if we were to drink the night before. But as you love the person beside you, day after day after day after day after day, irrespective of how they respond. Sooner or later, they can't deny that. That there's something weird about this kind of love. And there is. 
because it's the love of God himself flowing out from you by the power of the Spirit. Love and Spirit bound together in this teaching of Christ. It shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't. Because the Apostle Paul does the same thing, doesn't he? I mean, I mean, think about the big passages of Scripture that Paul says have to do with the Spirit. You know, we, we often have that vision of the Spirit as a dove, you know, coming and descending upon Christ, uh, this dove with two wings, and, and sort of the two wings of the dove. One wing is the fruit of the Spirit. The, the expression of the Spirit's life. And what does Paul say that the fruit of the Spirit is? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, I mean forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And here's what you need to understand. There's a good argument can be made that, that love there is not just one upon the list, but actually it is the controlling word. That the fruit of the Spirit is love, and that love is expressed in joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's the definition of love. And this is the Apostle Paul saying, you need to understand that if you, the measure of the Spirit in my life is how deep is my love. How deep is my love for Jesus and how deep is my love for you. And how deep is my love for those who would make themselves my enemy. That's the measure. And then the other wing of this, this Spirit dove is, of course, Spiritual gifts, the, the, the abilities, the supernatural abilities that God has us as the Spirit works through that. And, and the big passage there, of course, one of the big passages is 1 Corinthians, right? Chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14, all to do with the gifts of the Spirit. And what Paul very deliberately does, he says, yeah, there's all of this kind of fancy, powerful, gifting stuff, but you know what really counts? What holds this whole thing together, what really makes the difference is chapter 13, the chapter on love. And he puts that right in the middle because he's got all these gifts listed in chapter 12 and that's marvelous and the Corinthians were amazed at that. He says, hey, before you get carried away reading about that, here, just remember this because we're dealing with the Holy Spirit here. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but I don't have love, I'm just a mouthpiece. I'm just an annoying gong, clanging symbol when people are trying to sleep if I don't have love. And if I've got all the gifts of prophecy and I can fathom all the mysteries and I have all knowledge, if I've got this, this incredible wisdom that the Holy Spirit can give me and if I've got a faith that can move a mountain but I don't have love, I'm nothing. Because that other stuff without love is not more powerful than the resurrection appearance. It's love that God says is more powerful in people's lives than a vision or touching even of Jesus resurrected. And if I get on the social justice side of things and I give all my possess to the poor, and if I give my body to hardship that I might boast, but I'm not motivated by love. If the people that I help and reach out to, if they, if, they, if they can't tell that I'm doing it because I love them, 
It's a waste of time. There's no gain. The kingdom's not advanced. Because it's the love of God in me and in you and in us that shows that the resurrection is true. It's hard to believe. But that's what Jesus is trying to say. <laughs> Jesus, don't even show yourself to people? Yeah. I'm going to show myself to people in a way that's more powerful than you can imagine. I'm going to show myself to people by enabling people like me and you to love as God loves. And the Spirit, the Spirit is the only one who can make us love in that kind of way because we do it on our own strength. We try and do it by gritting our teeth. We try and do it. We do all that stuff because we should, because we have to, because it's right. No, no. If we do all that stuff, but I'm not doing it because of love. There's no gain. No gain. I got a lot to chew on in this passage. <laughs> if we love Jesus, we enter into the spirit life. The spirit life. Because the Christian life is the spirit life, dependent on the spirit. And my life is bound up with the Father and of the Son. And the spirit life is a life of love. A love so radical and powerful that God chose it to show himself to the world rather than a million resurrections. If you love Jesus, because you love Jesus, we have the power of the Holy Spirit to love each other as Christ loved us. May it ever be so. Almighty God, this is, uh, this is quite a teaching that Jesus gave as he just sort of sums it all up before he goes to the cross. And um, you know, for me, Lord, it, it, it's, it's kind of weird because I think about the power of seeing the risen Christ. Thomas putting his hand in your side and I think about incredible spiritual gifts that we see in the book of Acts. And I, you know, I find myself um, just sort of thinking, oh, man, that's where it's at. That's, that's you know, that's, you've got to get into this. You've got to, Jesus, you've got to show yourself more. You've got to appear in visions more to people. You've got to, uh, do this, do that, raise the dead, heal the sick, open the eyes of the blind, and combat sickness. And, and Lord, you, you do that stuff because you're alive and well. And we sing about it. you're not going to run around miracles anytime soon. 
but I confess, Lord, that sometimes I get so enamored by that stuff, I forget that, that what you said is, yeah, yeah, with that stuff, I'll do that stuff. But if it's not love at the center, if it's not seen and experienced as the radical love of God for people, we gain nothing. <laughs> and so I ask Holy Spirit, we've been um, singing songs asking you to come and fill us up and and, uh, you know, even, even when I was praying early this morning and I, asking that you would come, like journaling there, you know, come upon us in powerful ways, Spirit. Just come upon us today. And, you know, I, <laughs> even in that, when I was going to preach on this, I, I just sort of forget that it's love. However it's expressed, the mundane of taking the housebound for groceries or the radical of tumors being removed, in the end, it's love. It's love. It's love that shows spirit that we are a spirit people. So come and fill us up again. Come and fill us up again. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. And make us a people of love. We pray through Christ. Amen. Amen.